This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for uh, Saturday, January 18th, 2020. And uh, we want to welcome everybody back. Uh, all of the usuals are, of course, here listening live to the show and participating in the chat. Um, we have a special guest today, but before we get to that, Dornall, how was your week? Hello, it's good to be back. My week's been good. Uh, what can I say? Uh, not much more out of the usual. Gaming. Getting paid. You know how it is. Spending too much time on the internet, but I'm happy to be here chatting with you, seeing everybody live in the chat and everything. Hey, everybody. Daddy Warpig, how about you? How's your week? Um, I saw a good movie. Oh, that's right. I went and saw Uncut Gems. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> we'll have to do a full full review next week. But that was nice. Get out of the house, go see a movie. It, it's actually a good movie. I disbelieve the illusion. But I, <laughs> I look forward to hearing your perspective as always. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've got a guest. Yeah. Our, and, and our guest, Hey, welcome back to the show. Uh, John Delarose. He was just telling us about another movie. Um, when he was not muted, he was talking about the rise of Skywalker, which we already reviewed, but, but we've got some new news on that, right? Yeah. Uh, it is now my favorite star war of all time. Your favorite star war. Of all time. <laughs> Even better than, than the first one, Empire. Yeah, it's got nothing on it. Uh, mainly because this movie was designed to appeal to uh, just uh, right-wing people like me. Uh, so I hear. So I hear. Is that uh, so? Who, who, who told you that? That's that's crazy. Um, this, this, uh, this little magazine called The Washington Post told me that. So... Um, I was uh, I was excited to read that this morning, and now that I know that, it's definitely uh, it's definitely made me realize yes, this is uh, a movie that was totally designed for me, and uh, I'm just happy to support it. You know, I I don't I remember not liking the film John. <laughs> uh, am I am I no longer am I no longer on the right? I think am, your, am I I think out of your the memory just might be faulty about the film. Um, so you know. You know, that's really easy to do with uh, with the rise of Skywalker. It's really easy to either not remember what was going on or to miss some of what was going on. Yeah, I mean, it was just like a, a beat after beat. I did see it. I did end up seeing it. Um, it was a beat after beat after beat after beat. It was super fast paced. Um, and a lot of the stuff didn't really matter and wasn't memorable. Um, but... While I mean that said, honestly, like honestly, honestly, like while in it, it like it was enjoyable. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like I was bored. So, um, you know, it was fine. <laughs> it was it it gave me the impression of one of those films where if if you had to get up and use the restroom, you'd get up and go back and say, "Hey, what I miss," and they'd say, "Who cares?" <laughs> um, I did get up and use the restroom, and it, it didn't make much of a difference uh, because it was just a you know, pretty basic plot. 
Um, but that's, hey, I, what I, did I, don't I, miss? Have, I don't have a problem with that, though, is, is the actual thing. You know? Hey, what did I miss? Do you have a couple of hours? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. It's interesting uh, because I feel the same way about those stupid Marvel movies. I mean, most of them were just fun popcorn flicks, and I've forgotten almost everything about them. Uh, I, I don't know. The, this, the Star Wars didn't give me that feeling. Uh, I, I liked the zombie emperor and, you know, there were some cool lightning things and, you know, people, people like space Marines fighting on top, like on top of a spaceship hole in the atmosphere. Like I enjoyed that, you know? I yeah, know. sure. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a simple guy. All right. <laughs> hey, we, um, we, that we, said, obviously the Washington post analysis is just like, what? <laughs> what what made what makes the rise of sky I should bring up this article. Is it behind a paywall? I, I don't think John read it. I don't think no, the, the actual it. article was about a um was like saying, you know, uh there's not gonna be a fandom menace that rises out of this one. And it really didn't cater towards like, you know, the left wing politics like Last Jedi did. And so are we now going to make a group like the Phantom Menace to go harass Star Wars? No, we won't because we're the left and we're better than that. That's 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 the gist of the article. That's that's obnoxious. Just Isn't the it? description of that article is obnoxious. It, it hurts your brain. So, yeah. All right. I'm I'm through with politics. That's way more. Yeah, it's no fun. It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> just, just watch a movie and enjoy it or don't enjoy it. Just like just shut up. Right. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't we don't have to we don't have to dissect the cultural significance of every <laughs> new pop culture movie that comes out, right, guys? Like, I, I do want to talk about this because I don't remember if we've had a chance to talk about it on the show. Did we talk about the Oscar nominations last week, or did no, they not come I, out yet? They hadn't come out yet. Uh, I want to talk about this because this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in the universe. What happened? Uh, so. The Joker movie got eleven nominations. Oh my gosh! But but that's not the funniest part. This movie is announced and releases one trailer, and everybody loses their mind. They just freak out, and they're talking about how it's this angry white man and how he's gonna, you know, he's getting revenge at the word, and how 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 the film is catering. To violent incels who I just saw a news story today where the Texas Rangers are being trained on the new domestic terrorism threat of incels. Um, apparently virgins are, are the new <laughs> go-to bad guy. But um, and, and everybody talks about this for months after months after months after months leading up to the movie coming out. And then the movie comes out and nothing happens anywhere. Not even a little bit. Not even a scare. Not even a prank. You know, not even somebody calling in a threat or showing up with a cap gun or something. Literally nothing happens. Yeah, we mentioned that Yeah, when we did the review. It was yeah. crazy. Everybody is all upset about nothing happening. And the movie, that should have been like a $300 million movie. Success, not a great success on comic book movies, does over a billion dollars. So all these people who hated the movie 
not only did they meme it into making more than a billion dollars, tripling its its uh, you know box office, they memed it into getting Critics' Choice Awards, and if I remember correctly, Golden Globe Awards, and they memed it into getting. 11 Oscar nominations. How do you hate something so much that you meme it into giving the makers of it a billion dollars and 11 Oscar nominations? I want that kind of haters. I mean, where can I get that quality of hatred? <laughs> the- I could use a billion dollars. I've been wondering the same thing. That's the best part about it is that it's a good movie, but I don't, I'm not sure it's a great movie, but because it got so much press and so much hype and because it was good in a year where there weren't that many great movies out, it it's the perfect storm. Uh, you need to generate a perfect storm to get those kind of haters. <laughs> I just, I love it. I mean, people were talking about it, you know, various things being mean to, to existence. They mean this movie into the Oscars. I just, I mean, normal people don't care, but if you run into one of these guys on the internet, that's all upset about the sort of thing you get to rub it in their face that finally, <laughs> finally an R rated comic book film is, is poised to win, uh, you know, the film, the Oscar for best film and, and whatever else. And, and it's that one. It's it's not your beloved Avengers or Black Panther or whatever. No, it's it's the Joker incel, the the <laughs> incel clown. Uh, <laughs> so, was there any anything else notable about the Oscars at all? Oh, people were upset. Oh, is, is there ever? No, it's 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 a pointless distraction from the meaningless of our existence. I didn't know any of this existed until you guys talked about it. So. Apparently, all the all the directors, best director nominations were men, and that upset a bunch of people. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because they've been making a big deal about it. I, and, and by they, I mean idiots on the internet making a big <laughs> deal about how uh, they've been working so hard to diversify all the awards every year and and we come back around to the 2019 oscars and oh no we've gone back in time it's all a bunch of white men uh, again i mean i don't know why why do you pay attention to people who who say that sort of thing um all i'm saying is if no women got nominated for you know best director then they really ought to do a better job next year that's my opinion well that's very that's very you know meritocratic of you um i don't know the uh, all right let's talk about this for a second because i've brought up the the best picture so best picture is um we've got five six seven eight nine nominations okay this this is pretty easy all right you've got ford v ferrari the irishman that was uh that was actually on netflix that's surprising jojo rabbit joker Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. 
They have that many movies nominated for things. Yeah, uh, just for the best picture, they expanded it like three or four years ago. Jeez, that's a lot of choices. Yeah, there's a lot of choices, and and uh, I haven't seen all of them, and, and I don't plan on seeing the ones I haven't seen, except for maybe Parasite. I've heard that's very good. That's a, I think that's a Korean film, or an English or an English film made by uh, Koreans. Anyway, but yeah. If those are the best films that came out of Hollywood last year, yeah, Joker's in that company. Think about that. Yeah. I heard most. My personal favorite was Ford v. Ferrari. I think I would give it to that. Um, but I just saw 1917, and it was good. And I and I saw Joker, and it was good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like you said, you just got to do better next year. I mean, Little Women was directed by a woman. She just didn't win the best Oscar. She didn't get a best Oscar nomination or best director nomination. Oh, okay. Uh, so they're just complaining to complain. I, I don't think Little Women's going to win the best picture because I don't think it was the best picture from last year. Oh, and it has to be Joker at this point. Remember the reality we live in. <laughs> How is this timeline even real? <laughs> oh, man. It, no, the, the Chicago Cubs broke the seal. The Cubs won the World Series. That was it. Huh? That was yeah. the whole divergence in the reality timeline into our whatever matrix we're in now. Yeah. Huh. That's exactly That's exactly it. Whether it was the cause, it was definitely the the focus point. Whatever whatever diverged the timeline, that's where it started. I, I I prefer to think that it was something small that nobody noticed, and the first real big event that you you could have clued in on it was that. That's like the first time the small errors compounded into something really big enough to that everybody could point to and say, "Oh crap." Was it the the hedron collider? Some some butterfly effect from the hedron collider? I don't know. All right, I've got my own theory, but I don't want to talk about it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's stick with the fun then. Um, movies suck. Hollywood is terrible. Uh, Hollywood is so bad that Joker is nominated for Best Picture. There, let's oh, with that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I want to know more about John Delarose's new hotness uh, because you've been ranting and raving about your new number one best-selling uh, comic. And since I don't read or buy comics, with one exception, I'll I'll tell you later. With one exception, I don't read and buy comics. So I'd like to know more about this. He has a surprisingly large Archie comics collection. I could see that. I actually uh, went and read. Um, they they put out these like best of Archie from uh, various decades, and I read best of Archie from the nineteen forties um, a couple couple months ago, and uh, it was really really good. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Like just fun character drama, Archie and the gang getting into just like absurd situations where he's got like a jalopy car and it breaks down in the middle of the road, and he's got to get to the dance and things like that. 
and and they just like put fun humor situations into all of it, and uh, it was it was refreshing, it was uplifting and enjoyable. So. Uh, I, on the other hand, bought Archie the War, uh, the five issue series where Archie goes off and fights in World War II. Oh, really? Are you serious? They did that. <laughs> yeah, they, they've been doing like all this quote unquote mature Archie stuff, like uh, you know, for longer than we've been alive. That's no, amazing. I don't think so. I think it's been for like the last 15 years or so they've done it. But, you know, Betty and Veronica meet Red Sonia and Vampirella and stuff. And um, I mean, like, some I think you just bloody. got a pulp rev guy's attention with that one. <laughs> some of it is like bloody and gruesome, but this is like literally Archie joins the military, goes to boot camp and heads off to war. Um, and I hope I'm not spoiling this for anybody who really wanted to read this miniseries it's been out for a year or a bit now um he ends up getting uh getting killed in battle and shipped back home to to riverdale and buried in a, a soldier's grave ah <clears throat> well that's that's darker than that's i expected really to go with archie <laughs> oh, that's one thing these are like mature books they're dark you know archie versus predator it's Bad things happen in these, so that's that's my recent Archie reading within the last year. Yeah, I would just from the sound of that, I would recommend that one I read over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Archie versus the Predators is a different idea. That's that's silly escapism. That's yeah, yeah. Let's just throw Archie in a reality distort uh, bubble and and have him pop out in somewhere. But Archie goes to war is is. It doesn't eliminate the purpose of reading an Archie comic. Like, let's escape to a simpler time when we were all kids and and having fun in high school, coming fun, yeah. of age, that sort of thing. Uh, and you know, the real life Archie may have gone to war and you know died in Afghanistan or something like that. Don't don't make me read a comic about that. That's that's not mature. That's just depressing. Uh, but they've got like uh, Jughead becomes a werewolf. And it's a werewolf horror story. It's it's you know that sounds awesome. It's the it's the um, it's like any one of the any one of the werewolf horror stories you've met, or uh, Veronica becomes a vampire, whatever. They're they're definitely not you know lighthearted kids stories. So, but anyways, I'm I'm distracting from. No, no, one more. You can't talk about Archie without asking uh, John DeLaRose, Betty or Veronica? Uh, I got to go Betty. I like the girl next door thing a lot better than the, like, you know, hot debutante thing. All right, Daddy Warpig. I'd want to say Betty, but... He's got to be contrarian to me. <laughs> I mean, it's a tough one. I like Betty. Betty's Betty's, you know, cute. She's chirpy. She's blonde. She's a girl next door. There's a lot to like there. But I think that Veronica, if she got over being spoiled, could be a really, really fun date. Uh, uh amen. But I I'm definitely team Betty here. Not to be contrarian. I just I'm team Betty for sure. Sweet. All right, Team Betty. All right, Team t the the Geek Gab is Team Betty. Uh, what about uh, 
All right, now we can talk about the, the important stuff. <laughs> Speaking of just fun books that aren't all that dark and can be read by kids and anybody and enjoyed, um, it was interesting. Uh, I, I've, I've obviously, uh, if, if anybody's been following me, had a lot of people, this tends to happen every time I hit this number one bestseller spot. Um, it takes like two days to trickle word to, to like random anonymous internet people who get angry. And uh, then they do. And then uh, they start going after me. And one of them was going after me. He's trying to snipe at me by saying, this is a book that like kids could read and enjoy. And I'm like, yeah, that's what comic books are for. And I firmly believe that. Um, I try to write books and, and you know, I, I asked Chuck Dixon for a lot of advice. And Chuck Dixon, of course, as you know, is one of the most prolific comic writers of all time, creator of Bane from Batman, uh, creator of a better character than Bane uh, named Stephanie Brown, uh, who is awesome. And uh, he's just an amazing writer who's just like has a real talent for knocking this out pulp style. And, you know, when I asked him about writing advice back in the day when I was kind of tooling with comics, he'd always say, you really want to write comic books like that are geared toward like the 12, 13 year old. Now, that's not to say that like adults can't enjoy things. Of course, adults can enjoy things, but you really want to keep it on that level. Um, and that way you you have something that the widest possible audience can possibly connect to. And I go for that. So while the, while the guy was trying to like gotcha me by saying that, um, I firmly believe that is a good way to write books. So uh, I, and if, if it's good enough for Chuck Dixon, then by golly, it's good enough for me. So that's what we have here. We just have an action packed adventure. Um, it, it definitely has that like, you know, you know how Doctor Who, uh, I don't watch the new ones, but uh, you know, at least like when, Eccleson or uh, David Tennant was like doing it, you know how they were like, it was always like a, there was a lot of running and jumping and they're on the run from like this or that. Um, I wanted to capture that feel uh, because I set this in a Victorian England alternate history. And I, I think that style of adventure for that style of, uh, I guess that aesthetic works very well. And so that's what, that's what we have here. At, at the end of the day, we have this, uh, this beautiful clockwork automaton dancer who is innocent, who is pure, who is uh, a wonderful person, uh, and uh, she's being chased as an abomination like Frankenstein. And that that's what it comes down to. So it's Frankenstein without all the murder then? Yeah, sounds right. And a nice backstory that that uh, that uh, that uh, builds up and maybe there, there'll be murder later, but it's, uh, but I, uh, I haven't written that yet, and so I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can't resist. Yeah, there's going to be murder later. <laughs> um, so this is really, uh, until maybe a week or two ago, when, when I saw the images pop up, this is the first time I've heard of it. Can you give me and, and, and maybe anybody listening uh, later a little bit of background on, on how it came about, wh what it is, and, and how, how you made it? Sure. Um, I, I talked to a lot of artists, especially, you know, once I had my like crowd funds that are making, you know, 15, 20, $30,000, uh, you know, artists approach me quite often and they're like, Hey, how do we do this? And I'm like, let me write you a script real quick and we'll make some money. Um, and so we do that. And, uh, this is one of those that have, have come about from all that process. And, uh, just a gal I met, uh, actually on Gab back in the day. Um, and she uh, isn't your normal Gab person. She's kind of just like an artist who showed up on there because it was Gab was not tracking people and it's kind of off the grid and she kind of lives an off the grid lifestyle. Uh, she actually literally lives in a log cabin in the woods. 
And uh, she's like, I've been meaning to draw a comic for a long time. And I'm like, would you like to do one with me? And she said, yes. And we started chatting. And it turns out she's a, you know, deep Christian. And uh, I, of course, that, that uh, relates very well to me. And so we, we start kind of adding Christian themes into this. And I'm like, well, I've got a steampunk novel that series that's like sells thousands and thousands and thousands. So it would make sense to try something steampunk to see if I can kind of capture a portion of that audience. Um, and she says, that makes sense to me. And uh, then uh, I said, I'd like to do something with automatons as the focus, since my other book has airships as the focus. And those are kind of two major steampunk uh, elements that, that end up happening a lot. Um, and she said, that's cool. So she drew me a picture of an automaton. And then I came up with a plot from there because uh, just based on seeing her drawing. Um, so it was a very, very collaborative effort on this one, uh, a, lo a lot more so than a lot of my other projects. And uh, and she was a huge driving force of a lot of the things that went on here. Um, and so also because I've done one steampunk where it's pure fantasy, I was like, I want to see and, and try to test my chops by doing something uh, in an actual historical setting. So I set this in 1898, uh, Great Britain. And they actually travel around to various parts of Great Britain. Um, it starts out in Scotland. Um, and so we we actually have photo references of different places in Scotland and, and England at the time uh, from black and white photos that we have kind of used as our setting pieces and tried to uh, uh, incorporate those into there for accuracy. And uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, the coolest part about this, though, is I was like, I, I was looking into like secret agents and things like that because I, I've been reading uh, James Bond uh, and, and into that lately. And so I was like, when did MI6 start? And I looked at MI6 starting and it was a little too late for this. Uh, but there was a precursor to it, which is Queen Victoria's Secret Service of, of all things. And so she sent her secret service agents around uh, kind of in that capacity uh, in the late 1800s. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Uh, so I incorporated that into this also. That's a great story, actually. Uh, I I want to know more about this artist. Is she? Uh, I see she's got a web presence uh, on the stream. I've got her uh, blog, Mary MacArthur. Yeah. That, that is her name, Mary MacArthur. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, her blog was called Snowflake Clockwork to begin with. And this is she had her. She's had her blog. You can tell it's an older website, so it's before Snowflake had the Snowflake connotation. Sure. And just meaning it as something beautiful in nature that, you know, really highlights God's creation, right? Um, and uh, and she's been into clockwork and stuff like that. She has a lot of religious imagery and things like that uh, before. So definitely somebody who uh, would connect well with what I'm doing. Um, and, yeah, she uh, she's draws commissions for people. She, she drew a coloring book of the saints, as you can see right here, uh, for children uh, who want to, you know, learn about uh, church history and and get some coloring in and uh this is her first comic book she's always wanted to do a comic book and uh and she uh she came on board here and and uh, we got it out it's pretty cool oh that's great to hear is, is she i wish you could jump on but uh, i i don't know if she has uh stream yard access at the i got cabin. her on uh my stream um on uh, Wednesday when I came out with the book, because I, I saw she ended up in the chat because she saw I was talking about it. Um, and I was like, can you come on? And I, and I was able to get her on. So uh, if you schedule it with her, uh, I'm sure she'd love to come talk art and stuff. 
Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, well, uh, that's a really cool story. Just meeting up with her and, and putting it together like that. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's just like, it's one of those things I've, um, I'll, uh, I'll talk a lot about this process. I've, I've worked with a lot of artists, obviously at this point, I've got, you know, all these short pieces I come out with on my Patreon now with various artists. I've got this, I've got dynamite Thor. I've got flying sparks. I, I've got the Ember war. Um, what else do I got? Um, I got the AI wars, which is another comic I've got done. I've got the cosmic warrior, which is another comic I've got done. So I've got all these artists and what I've found, uh, all over the map is that when I've had collaborative processes, um, a lot of the times those have failed out the gate. Like I do my scripting work and then the artist would kind of like do two or three pages and then just dip out. Um, and I find that happens a lot. Like, like a lot of artists don't realize how long of an effort it takes to make a comic. I mean, this is we literally worked on this comic for a year and I didn't talk about it much, uh, because, which is why you don't know about it because I I've been in these collaborative situations before and they just like so often don't work out that I don't want to like hype something and then have it not happen. Right. Mm. Um, and so I kind of waited until it was done until, um, until I hyped it. And then of course, you know, the way that <clears throat> the pulp Amazon uh, medium works now, uh, once it's done, you can release it right away. Right. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a neat thing. Um, so this is the first collaboration I've ever had work out all, all the others that like I've been able to get two, three, four issues out of, um, have, uh, all been, uh, paid artists up front, which makes it really hard, uh, you know, to do a book because, you know, the, the costs, uh, end up being about $10,000 for a graphic novel or more. Um, and you know, I can only find wow. at a time. <laughs> yeah, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, even if you have that kind of money sitting around, it's like, well, I could either do that or finish my kitchen remodel. Or... Right. <laughs> which, is, which is also what I'm doing right now. It's a, it's a weird situation for me. I was telling somebody, I'm like, this is the first time in a few years I've been like out, out of money. Um, and I like, can't commission new comic art. I can't get things going. I like, I need a crowdfund uh, pretty badly at this point. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I was opting not to crowdfund this because um, again, like I find graphic novels as a whole are better for crowdfunding than single issues. Um, and so, uh, and this is taking a year for one single issue. I just wanted to get it out there so she could, she, cause uh, Mary's actually splitting the profits with this 50, 50 with me on this. So I wanted to get her some revenue right away and, and build a little hype for this uh, as, as she's doing it. So it continues to be exciting for her. Uh, that's awesome. Plus it's, it's an unusual type of comic. It's not, uh, it's not like a superhero comic or, uh, you know, a, a heroic war comic or something like that. This is, this is something new. So it'd be, it'd be tough to crowdfund something like that. Right. Yeah, a very different thing. Um, now what's interesting is in the indie comic market, actually superheroes traditionally don't do all that well. And it's because Marvel and DC really flood the market. So anybody who's buying superheroes for the most part is just buying the superheroes from there. Um, but that said, um, my niche of the crowdfund market, whatever you want to call it these days, is all about superheroes. So it's like, that's what they buy. Um, so this is definitely trying something different, experimenting with different genres, trying to trying to get into the broad general audience appeal uh, rather than uh, just sort of my niche um, and and expand the readership, of course. Have you seen any crossover from your steampunk fans? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you said you you said you went for it, and and I don't know. Yeah, totally but, went for it. Um, they they came in. Uh, what's interesting is I I um, I totally forgot um, 
to email my mailing list and my crowdfund backers of my books that uh, this was out. And uh, I just did that this morning. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I missed <laughs> I missed some folk on the launch window there. But um, but yeah, hope they're actually sales today are picking up pretty good. So that I think I think I'll see a few more of those coming in over the weekend. Uh, and uh, and and tell me about the book. So reader, yeah, reader cool. liked it so far. So I'm happy. Yeah, I remember deleting those emails. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So <laughs> delete those emails. By the way, um, here's a big thing for author algorithm stuff. Um, when you uh, when you are subscribed to an email list, um, I, I don't care about the Kickstarter one so much, but like the actual email list proper, um, Google marks things as spam or promotions or whatever based on how many people they see deleting or um, or opening things. So even if you're not all that interested or don't, you know, maybe you already know about whatever's going on, just click open on the author emails you're subscribed to because it, it helps. It helps. Oh, that's a good tip. Yeah. So don't don't delete it without looking at it first. Yes, please. Oh, very good. Yeah. I I'm see this is this is why I love having you on because I yeah, the the comics and everything is cool, but all the all the inside baseball stuff that that just sort of comes out of the margins. That's the that's the good stuff. Every every one of these systems like all from mailing lists to Kickstarter to Indiegogo to Amazon uh, to even even Twitter and, and Facebook all have like these like absurd algorithms to how they show things to people. And uh, it's 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 the same thing. Like, I mean, on Twitter, um, they, they've kind of started hiding outside links, for example. So if I link my book on Amazon and it doesn't get a lot of likes, they start hiding that link more from people's feed. Um, and this is what Facebook's done for a long time. So Facebook, everybody knows that like, Facebook, if you put an outside link on Facebook, like they just like destroy that uh, post in the in their algorithm so nobody sees it. Um, and then they want you to go on your profile and hit boost so that people actually see it. It's it's a scam for them to make money. Twitter doesn't have the boost feature, but they do deprioritize that stuff. So the more you engage with stuff like 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 I said, emails uh, with with the spam filter, uh, Facebook posts, just like hit like on every author post of these sort of things you see or leave a comment even if it's just like looks good uh it it helps these algorithms and then help then that what that does is trains these websites that this is not spam and uh it helps their future posts holy cow i know it's it's a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately i know i know how all of it works now so deeply like i've really analyzed the crap out of this stuff so it's annoying <laughs> Well, what we're going to do is we're going to check in with you next year for for a business report to see how how all that knowledge has worked out for you. I'm I don't think I'm the best at like optimizing it because I still spam my links all the time. Um, uh, but and I I know what I need to do um to optimize social media. I just uh I don't know. I haven't had the willingness to do it because I want to have fun too. You know. I mean, it I, is is there a point really? Uh, is so, social media, like uh, other authors we've talked to, said that they barely drive any sales at all out of oh, social they're totally, media. They're totally wrong. <laughs> um, I so with Kickstarter, Kickstarter actually allows you to put uh, different trackers uh, for where uh, you post different links. So I found that out of my fifteen thousand dollar Kickstarter um, last year, uh, my last one, 
uh, about $3,000 of that came directly from Twitter. So about one fifth of my revenue comes from Twitter as it, as it follows from that. Wow. Yeah. So uh, definitely you have to be careful. You have to do it right though. Right. Um, and I have strategies for doing it right. I just haven't used them. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's 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 low hanging fruit, but you do take take a lot of uh, crap and give a lot of crap amongst the uh, other so called comics fans on online. And I don't really follow that closely, but it's it's yeah. uh, it, it it looks like it adds undue stress to your there, existence. There's a lot of stress, and they just keep they just keep coming. It, like I said, it's every time I come out with a bestseller that hits number one bestseller, and Clockwork Dancer did hit number one bestseller. So thank you for those who picked it up and read it. Um, and also leave reviews if you picked it up and, and read it. Uh, of course, more reviews are always helpful. Um, but every time I do, like these guys, like find out that I did, and then they come out of the woodwork and just like start personal attacking me in order to like try to like. I guess they're trying to like hamper my sales by doing that. I I just I don't understand their thought process. Um, but yeah, it's it's every single time. Like they'll leave me alone for a couple months, and then I hit number one bestseller, and I'm like, wow, I've got a number one bestseller. And then it's like pylon, and it's uh, it's it's a very weird thing. Uh, and this doesn't happen so much in the book book community. Like, it, I feel like authors and 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 uh, the readers on the book book community are much more into, um, are just into the books and into the fun. Uh, and then the comic side is really like there's just like a very negative vibe to the comic industry, and I I don't know how to change it. I would. I, I hate to say this, but I'd venture guess that it's the people themselves. Yeah, I, yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, what I mean is, <laughs> what I mean is, I appreciate. I'm, I'm about to lose a lot of audience here. I appreciate the idea that <laughs> a good comic book is enjoyable to read for people of all ages, even if it's targeted at correct young, a younger audience. Correct, but the type of person for whom that's their main hobby or their main entertainment as an adult—that's the type of person who's going to have trouble, for example, expressing themselves on social media. Or it's, it's very true. Uh, and yeah. I found that just one of the one of the ones arguing with me today. Uh, like I said, he, he was trying to knock me on this whole, uh, you know, saying it's geared towards kids. Uh, and I'm like, look, yes, it is geared towards kids. It's the comic book medium. Um, if you want a more in-depth story that, uh, you know, has, uh, you know, a, a, a little, just a lot more depth to it and all that, like that's more geared towards adults, uh, read my novels because that's, I write my novels more towards that because, you know, it's, it's a different medium. And of course, you know, they come back with like, are you saying comic book people are immature? And it's like, uh, and, and yes, I lose my, I lose audience saying this stuff sometimes, but it's like, it's true. So it's like, I don't, I don't want to lie to people. Um, but yes, uh, I mean, in general, a comic book audience is more mature. It, it is, it is absolutely true. Same and same with the people who are like, so into the star war that they like, can't let it go as like a 40 year old. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, when I walk around and I see most 40 year olds who are like mature with children and, and things like that, like you know, that's, that's not a concern of theirs. Right. <laughs> yeah. You make a really good point. Like, uh, we even, 
ID'd the type. I don't know how how old is uh, Clerks and Mallrats, right? How uh, I heard someone talking to. I I know I'm rambling. I heard someone talking today. I overheard a conversation where someone made some funny quip about the characters in the latest Star Wars movie. And and I was reminded of that by what you just said because it's like it's like those old Kevin Smith films or or something like that where where people sit around making uh, you know jokes about a, a kiss in Star Wars being incestual or something like that right or or their wild theories about well if so and so is who her father and then so and so right and and you realize that that's not really interesting or important and and why do we have a whole class of 40ish people um 40ish men really who who are into that who that occupies a great deal of their mental big bummer <laughs> i i'm I missed that. Could you repeat that, please? I said I could get into the societal implications of, of why it happened, et cetera, but it's a big bummer, and I'd rather just keep things happy here. <laughs> hey, that's right. All fun here. We are nothing but fun here. We're just scratching the surface. We all know that there's something going on, but that's okay. We're just here for fun. Yeah. Um, and that, at the end of the day, it's okay to have fun. And I did make a mistake because um, I, I actually went hard on – uh, the Star Wars fans, I think, uh, to, whenever the Rise of the Star Skywalker was coming out, and I, I was really putting them on blast. Like, you know, if you guys hate this movie, like, why, why, like, why are you going and seeing it opening night? Why are you like just ranting about it constantly? Why are you still on it? And while th that's true uh, of me, uh, you know, at the same time, like, it's not it's not my job to police their fun either. So I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe you come off as a scold when you do something like that. Yeah, wagging your finger. It's you. Nobody's. We're not going to help anybody by complaining about it or or yeah. wagging our fingers on Twitter. It's the same thing. Like if I if I'm saying they're not helping anybody or changing the movie by uh, complaining or wagging their fingers about the movie, like my doing so to them is is kind of the same thing at the end of the day. And so yeah, shouldn't have done that. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I learned I, I learned that valuable lesson a few years ago, uh, when everybody was when emotions were heightened, as you may say, yeah. in uh, 2015, 2016, and uh, when I realized, oh wow, I'm I'm being one of those guys who maybe gets upset at something and gets on social media and complains about it, where I'll I'll. Uh, I'll be I'll be frustrated with something happening somewhere else in the world and just use social media as a way to vent my frustration. Wait, I'm being yeah. one of those guys. There's no reason for this. It's not yeah. helping. It's not helping anybody. Uh, the, you know, the catharsis I get is not worth it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really not catharsis. You just get angrier and angrier and angrier. And uh, you get into a cycle where you just like get mad. Right. Um, and that's, that's what Twitter is frankly designed to get people to do because that anger uh, addicts them to the website. Right. So um, I get it. Um, it's easy to fall, easy to fall into that trap. Um, but at the end of the day, like it, like we win and we push things forward by uh, by creating, uh, by by promoting what we love, by trying new interesting things, by innovating, and uh, and and that's the way forward. And I, I you know, I it, it'll, I'm human, so I'll lose sight of that from time to time. But 
that's uh that's that's the model I want going forward for sure. Hey, I appreciate that, and and you just reminded me, we're 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 starting a new tradition on the Geek Gab, uh, right now, and this is this is a uh, give credit to the Bone Bat show for this one. What I want to know, John, is what is it that you love, or what do you love? What do I love? Because um, here, here on the Geek Gab, we talk about what we love. I love, I love. Uh, well, I love Clockwork Dancer by it now. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I got a shell. But uh, it's, uh, I'm actually terrible at shilling. Like, I, I, you give me this opportunity to just talk about the book, and I'm like, I'm like going off on philosophical stuff uh, on Star Wars and stuff. But um, what I really love, uh, just to uh, as as my own hobby, like not shilling my own stuff, is, uh, and I mention this quite a bit these days, is the Marvel Epic Collections. Um, and basically they've reprinted a lot of the Marvel universe stuff from 1963 through about 1993 and they're coming out with them. They come out out of order so that you don't get stuck in like, I need volume one to get volume two. Like, I mean, they might come out with volume 21, uh, and they just collect, they focus on like collecting the Stan Lee stuff and then collecting, uh, stuff that really hasn't been reprinted before. So you get these like random things like, I'm reading Master of Kung Fu from like 1973 or four or something right right now, and uh, there's not really been oh, a lot of that before. And they're coming out with a movie of it, and it's just it's just sick. It's just good stuff. And I'm reading like every time I go back into the 60s and 70s stuff, uh, like before it became like a movie property. Um, it's just the stories are gold. They're just so much fun, and uh, each single issue tells its own story. I, I try to emulate a lot of that in my own writing, uh, but I also just enjoy it from a reader perspective. And I'm actually to the point where um, they, they've come out with like 150 books of them because the Marvel Universe is huge at this point. But I've got all of them except for six now. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. What about you, Daddy Warpig? What do you love? Um,. I love a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I'm serious. That's not a that's not a slipshod answer. That's not a uh, a shallow answer. Uh, in fact, you can you can learn an awful lot about my character and my personality by realizing, uh, and you can learn an awful lot about how my mind works and why the secret project is what it is by realizing how I operate. I love heavy metal and rap and pop and power pop um, and a whole bunch of other music genres, but I tend to only like like one or two bands in each genre and not everything in that genre. Um, or I tend to love one or two bands a lot and then just singles from the rest of them. And so it's the same with movies. It's the same with TV. It's the same with books. I love TV shows. I love movies. I love books. I love comic books. But only a few of them do I love do real deep dives on. And the rest of them I pick the hits. Uh, and so I love a lot, a lot, a lot of things. Um 
And I've got a very, very broad set of things I, I have consumed over my lifetime that, uh, that I do love. But what I love most right now is, uh, is the secret project. And, you know, every time I get a breakthrough on it, every time something happens that I see a problem I've been working on for, you know, just so long that <laughs> it seems impossible. Um, yeah, I love having a breakthrough and I love seeing something that is perfectly designed uh, for what it needed to be that I finally got put together. I mean, I just solved something I've been working on for 27 years. I've been pounding my head against something and I just put it together. I mean, you cannot believe how good that feels to have a uh, compulsion to put something together and to finally have it, you know, unfold, to finally see your way to the center of it. And uh, there had to be a bunch of other solutions I came up with first, but man, so good. That sounds profoundly satisfying. Yep. I'm going to cop out. I'm going to cap out. I love doing this show, at least today. This is awesome. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, we have good discussions. It's fun. Uh, Daddy Warpig, do you have any questions for, for John? I did have a question for John. You're on uh, Kindle on the Amazon. Um, why aren't you on Comixology? They're owned by Amazon. Why don't comics that get put on Amazon automatically get added to Comixology? Great question. Uh, Comixology is its own thing and with its own accounts to set up. And I just started self-publishing my stuff um, in December. Um, so I took Flying Sparks, and, uh, which is my crowdfund stuff, which has been up. And um, I've been taking it and putting it out as individual issues uh, on my own now. And um, Castalia House or Arkhaven uh, really wasn't interested in pursuing comiXology when they were doing their publishing thing. They were they were trying to focus everything towards Amazon and, and what they do with their uh, regular book markets. So I actually have uh, now started to try to put those up on Amazon, or on uh, comiXology, rather. Um, and I set it up. I set up my account, got it all going in December, uh, gave them Flying Sparks issues number one and two and zero. And they uh, take three, four, five months uh, to process things to get books up for indie creators. So while Marvel and DC can get their books up immediately and get special treatment, um, I, my books will be up there. It's just I don't know when it's going to happen. That sounds awful. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, and, and somebody was telling me the other day, uh, and, and I like to repeat this now, it's, Amazon is the best technology that 1996 has to offer. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like there's a manual process there. It, there it, there's no reason that they have to make you wait unless there's a manual process and they just have, they only it's have like, so much manpower and they can prioritize. Yeah, it's their panel viewer thing. They actually handle that themselves with comiXology to like, you know, you know how you can like zoom in on a single panel and, and push it through. Um, mm -hmm. in Kindle, they actually have a Kindle comic creator and you can do it yourself. Um, and so, oops, that's my kid. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, 
And uh, so, so Kindle, you can do it yourself. It takes me about you know thirty minutes to an hour to do an issue, uh, uh, to format it. Um, but I imagine they're bombarded, of course, uh, and they don't let you do it yourself on Comicsology for whatever reason. I have no idea why. So uh, they have to format it all, and that's that is the uh, that is the the holdup. Well, the reason why Comicsology has to format it all themselves is because they have a specific format. Uh, for small screens. That's how they got started, and that's why I got downloaded their app when I first got my very first iPhone. They had a, a patented method for displaying comics on a phone, because phone screens are very, very small. And this is back in, like, 1990, or 1990. <laughs> it's back in, like, 2000. You did that. That was you with your 1996 comment. That was all your fault, Della Rose. Um, this is back in 2008-2009. Um, you can really only display on a phone maybe one panel. You can't display a whole page because you can't see which, that. Which Kindle allows also, right? And that's that's the Kindle panel uh, panel viewer, which I which I do set up. So I don't know um, I don't know what's the difference between Kindle and Comicsology at this point. But Comicsology doesn't have a program for you to set it all up still. But Comixology, what they did was they had a way of animating the transitions from panel to panel to where um, it would add a bit of swerve, a bit of interest, a bit of, you know, almost like a motion comic, but not as uh, not as interruptive, <laughs> not as active. Um to where it made it more interesting when you moved from panel to panel and you could focus on one panel and magnify it and, and, and read it. Um, and this is before the Kindle had been released yet, before the Kindle existed. Um, and, and this is when phones are really, really small. And, you know, they're a lot bigger today, but you still have to have this kind of thing. So they've got it set up to where it has to be manually reviewed and their people um animated now i don't know and actually the way they do it is they physically chop up each page of um pictures into a series of individual images and then animate between those transitions between those images um i have seen um inside those files and they're actually a series of of stills of cut apart stills from the page so um i don't know if it is necessary that their people do it i'm not saying that it's necessary but i'm saying that's why they do it that way um and it may be that they did need to do it originally 12 years ago but people have gotten more savvy now and they know how to do it now and and they don't need to do it now it's just the comicsology hasn't uh hasn't moved with the times and and let indie people do it themselves i guess it keeps it keeps the quality of a certain level because you can screw up the panel view uh in kindle it's actually very easy for for you to do especially if it's your first time and you don't know what you're doing so it definitely keeps quality control i guess and that's probably why, you know, indies take so long to go up on the service is because you're dead last in the queue of production. 
yeah, they're like, this isn't going to sell like, you know, X-Men is. So we're going to focus on X-Men. And we'll get around to cutting your <laughs> panels up and animating it whenever we think we have the time. What's interesting, though, is at least your first time, I don't know about uh, how it works down the line, but at least your first time, like, you're technically applying for getting them to put it up on there. So uh, they have to, quote, accept you. I don't know that they often accept people or don't accept people, uh, since this is my first experience with this. But uh, yeah, it's possible. I mean, just because I've received no word on it, I mean, it's possible the books get rejected and they just don't even put them up there. I mean, that's that's the other potential. You'd hope they tell you, though, you know? You would help. <laughs> I have no faith in our Amazon overlords. But it's the best option for now. That's a shame. Uh, what do you think about the, the, you mentioned Patreon earlier. How's that working out for you? Um, all right. I've got like 21 backers or something like that. And, uh, and, and just due to the nature of, I guess, my personality driven uh, um, backing, a lot of people back me, you know, for, for, for cause purposes, of course, um, uh, they, they tend to back at high levels. So it actually helps me pretty good. Um, I, I, I try to produce as much extra content for them per month as I just physically can. Um, and of course, I give every I give them my books first early by a couple of weeks. So they've had Clockwork Dancer for a couple of weeks if they're a Patreon subscriber, uh, or they've had, uh, you know, very, various different things. Um, and I'm, I'm giving them short comics as I can. I'm trying to use all the money to just like pay for more Patreon com content. Um, and it's, it's like the short stories, like, it's like great when I'm writing short stories, um, the amount of money I'm making actually, you know, covers CIFWA pro rates if I'm writing like a 3000 word story or, so, or something per month for them. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, I just, I just hope it, I hope it grows because, uh, uh, it's, it's nice to have that like consistent backing. Um, and then, you know, if we can get it. 10 times this level uh, that pays for the comic art by itself. And then I don't got to worry about this stuff. We uh, are. Go ahead. I was just to say we're running right out of time. Holy cow. That perfect finish. <laughs> um, so, so let me help you shill for a second, John, what type of reader would really enjoy Clockwork Dancer. I, I should go out and buy Clockwork Dancer if... I think if you just like really fast-paced adventure stories, you'll enjoy this. If you, I mean, if you're into the whole Pulp Rev mindset, um, I mean, it's just like, you've got like British soldiers in their like red coats, like chasing an automaton. I, I've got like weird spider robots and things like that that, that pop up. Um, and then there's a historical mystery as to why this uh, this automaton actually has life, um, and you kind of wonder, like, how how does she exist, right? That's that's obviously going to be a, a portion of this, and um, it's uh, I answer that with a, a very unique uh, historical reason that uh, that that really will build over the course of this. So, uh, and I don't want to spoil that. So, if you're interested in that, um, I don't want to I don't want to liken it to Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code because it's heresy. Uh, but it's got an element of that in it. An element of heresy. Love it. Ah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Pinned you down. 
um, I I only have. Uh, I only have one last thing to say. I'm really glad you came on. It's it's always great talking to you. Uh, but I, I do need to know one more thing. Uh, do you really think your Bang Bang Niner gang is going to handle the pack this weekend? Oh, no problem. Um, I'm worried about the Super Bowl. I think the AFC teams are uh, a lot stronger than the NFC teams in general. Um, so uh, I, I'm actually, been my eyes are past this game and on to the next one. Oh, I see. I see. Well, yeah, they're going to be they're going to be tough to beat at home. But if anybody can beat them, it'll be Aaron Rodgers. I'm looking forward to that game tomorrow. He's got he's got no good receivers. It's going to be a very similar situation to what you saw with Tom, Tom Brady versus the Titans. Like they're just not going to be able to convert against the Niners defense. I, well, considering considering he only has two thirds of the field he can throw to because because uh, you've got Sherman in the back. That's uh, you may be right on that, but I got to put my faith in, in that strong arm. I do love Aaron Rodgers. I went to Cal when Aaron Rodgers was actually at Cal. So uh, I actually got to see him throw in college. And uh, it was so exciting because Cal was number four in the country at the time. So we actually got to I, – I, I went I, – I rolled up and did road trips to the away games and everything. And um, he was uh, he was uh, just out of control in college and actually a great guy. I met him a couple times uh, on campus. Uh, just a super nice dude. Cool. Well, that's good to hear. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh, anyway – appreciate coming on talk about everything uh, always a pleasure always a pleasure to have everybody listening live hanging out in the chat uh, it's great to have you along and daddy warpig as always awesome chatting with you every week of course it is <laughs> <laughs> um i personally would like to thank everyone who came and listened to the show live um, participated in the chat. I'd also like to thank Mr. Delarose um, for coming here and sharing us news about his Clockwork Dancer. We wish you a quick turnaround on Comixology so uh, we can get your um, inestimable, uh, your inestimably awesome comics on that service as well. Um, this has been Geek Gab, and of course, I want to thank my um, awesome. Co-host, Dornall. Uh, this is our 198th show, I think. As I move slightly to check. Yeah, it's our 198th show. Uh, we may or may not be doing something special for our 200th. Um, uh, I want to thank... Uh, Everyone in the audience who's listening live and everyone who listens later, you can listen to us at uh, youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. Uh, we're available just about every week at this time. Uh, and if you love the show, click like, uh, click subscribe, and uh, click the bell icon so you get announcements as to when we're going live so you won't miss one of these awesome shows. If you want to listen to us on your uh, mobile device, you can listen to us on the iTunes Store, listen to us on the Google Play Store, or if you'd like to listen on the web, you can go ahead and go to soundcloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab, and we're available on all those places for your convenience. I hate to break the news to you folks, but we are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will. Be back.